Amen. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Aren't you glad the Lord loves us so much that when we were sinners, Christ died for us and so much that he does for us each day. Thank you so much, men, for turning our hearts to the Lord and also all of our other musicians as well. This morning, I'm going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We are going to make it back to the pastoral epistles eventually, but I want to take your attention to Isaiah chapter 9, and I want to finish a sermon that we started a few weeks ago about our Lord Jesus Christ and the prophecy of his coming, the child who came to save. So in Isaiah chapter 9, I want to concentrate this morning on verses 6 through 7 which is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus and his coming to the earth and his incarnation. The Bible says in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government or the dominion shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's pray. Father, we are glad this morning that we can speak of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he is to us. We pray, though, that these lessons would not escape us. And as we embark upon this new year, we pray that, pray that you would apply these truths to our hearts, that we may grow thereby. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us long for a good leader. Good leadership makes all the difference. On January the 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 departed New York City's LaGuardia's airport. Within just a few moments, the plane collided with a flock of geese, taking out both engines. Captain Sully Sullenberg, as he was called, made an emergency landing in the chilly waters of the Hudson River. But then he did something that every good leader and pilot would do. Before he left the plane and got to safety, he walked the aisles twice to make sure that no one was on board. As the captain, he knew that he must be the last person to depart his plane. Sully became a national hero. Three years later, almost to the date, on January the 13th, 2012, a massive Italian cruise ship called the Costa Concordia, with 4,000-plus passengers on board, crashed into the rocks and started to sink. An investigation uncovered the cause of the crash. The ship's captain, Francesco Schettino, was trying to impress a young female dancer on board when he veered too close to danger. 
In the confusion and chaos, Scatino escaped onto a lifeboard before everyone else had made it off the ship. He later claimed that he fell into the lifeboat because the ship had lurched violently to one side. Later, he was found guilty of manslaughter, causing a shipwreck and abandoning his post with passengers on board. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison. We know the value of good leadership. and There is something within us that longs for the perfect leader. Yes, the perfect king. Isaiah the prophet foretold the coming of this perfect king. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He made this prophecy in a time of great trouble and turmoil. Yes, God is our king, but additionally, God would come in human flesh, and he would dwell among us and be our king. Fully God and fully man. For the past couple of weeks, we focused our attention on Isaiah 7 through 9, those chapters, which contain key messianic prophecies concerning the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you weren't there for those sermons, I want you to write down two references in particular, and that's Isaiah 7, 14, which prophesies the virgin birth, and also the one who was virgin born would be God, God in human flesh, Isaiah 7, 14. But then we come to this passage, and that's Isaiah 9, 6, which further elaborates on this son, this one who was born of a virgin who would be given to us. This is how we know that what Isaiah was talking about was not a mere human ruler born in his day. He goes on to talk about this one who was virgin born, who would be virgin born, hundreds of years before it ever happened. We described how those prophecies in Isaiah's time came at a time of great darkness for the people of Israel. Maybe you're in a time of great darkness now in your life for some reason. Perhaps you're dreading the new year for some reason. Those times of darkness come to all of us. That's when God gives his encouragement for those who will place their faith and trust in him. And that is the key. We must trust in him and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, for the people of Israel, their divided kingdom felt the threat of invasion by superior forces. They did not have a chance. But even greater was the spiritual darkness that enveloped the land. The people were involved in deep sin and rebellion against God. These two nations had no excuse. They had experienced all the blessings of God. Last Sunday night, or the other Sunday night before, uh, or two weeks ago, we observed the prophecies of Isaiah to God's people, how God will give light. That's in Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 2. And we're talking about spiritual light. This was fulfilled when Jesus came at his first coming, and 
he began to preach the message of the gospel. It's going to be consummated when he returns the second time, and we're all looking forward to that day. He's also going to give joy, and yes, there was joy at his first birth, but again, there's going to be a consummation. There is going to be a fullness of joy when Jesus returns to this earth and makes all things right. He will also give victory to his people in chapter 9, verses 4 through 5. Not just victory over temporal or national foreign enemies, but victory over sin and death. That is the ultimate victory that we need. And friends, we need a Savior because we cannot do it alone. We cannot overcome sin and death by ourselves. We need a Savior. And His name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is the only Savior. All of that will come through the birth of Emmanuel. Now I want you to notice number four in our outline. As we covered the first points, we're going to cover Roman numeral four today. That is, God will give us His Son. His Son, Emmanuel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We first meet this promised child in Isaiah 7, 14, where Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin, that is, a woman who has never known a man, not just a young woman, but a woman who has never known a man, will conceive. And by the way, folks, that is a miracle. Only God can do that. She will bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew even explains in Matthew chapter 1 that this means God with us. Not just in a general sense that he's with us all the time, although that's true, but this would be God in human flesh who dwelt among us. John chapter 1. He is born of a woman, but given from God. He will bear rule or take dominion. He will be the perfect leader. And that's the meaning of the phrase, the government shall be upon his shoulder. He will take dominion over this earth. Isn't that an exciting thought? In this next year here in America, we'll elect our new ruler. What qualities would we want in that ruler? Everyone wants the perfect leader. But one day the perfect ruler is coming to this earth. And folks, that is a reality just as sure as we are sitting here today. My question to you is, are you ready? Have you accepted him already as your Lord and Savior? Because there is coming a day when it will be too late. When death comes, it's too late to accept him after that. There is no second chance. There is no halfway house. There is no purgatory. This life is all. Have you made that decision to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him for forgiveness? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you bowed the knee to him? He is coming again. But in a sense, he has already begun his rule in the hearts of his people. For those who have 
accepted him. You see, friends, he is not just my Savior. Yes, he is that. But he is my Lord. He is my Master. He is the one who created all things. He is the one who is worthy of power and honor and glory and worship. He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Notice his titles. Number one, Wonderful Counselor. And I believe that these two words are to be taken together. Some would count them separately, but I believe it's that they're uh, on analogy with the other titles that they're to be taken together. He is a wonderful counselor. Verse 6. The word wonderful here does not mean what we usually mean by it. It actually means supernatural. So when we say wonderful counselor, we're talking about one who has supernatural wisdom. And there's only one who has that, and that's God. He is the source of all wisdom. I value wisdom a lot more as I get older. You know, as, as a kid, one of my heroes was a superhero named Shazam. And you know the story. This little boy, he, he says the word Shazam, and he's transformed into a superhero. So I saw, I saw this show on television, you know, one of these really low-budget shows you know, where the guy's just stationary and it shows sky behind him. And um, so I would go around and say, Shazam, Shazam. You know, of course, nothing ever happened. But one of the powers that he has is the wisdom of Solomon. Now, as a kid, I did not value that superpower very much. To me, it was all about his super strength and the fact that he could fly. And, you know, those were the things that, Impress me. But as I get older, I see more and more the value of wisdom. There are so many leaders in this life who have power, but they have no wisdom. You can have all the ability in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, what damage you're going to do. And that is why on this earth we will never have a perfect leader. Because no matter how much power he has, and by the way, one day there is going to come a figure upon the scene, the Antichrist, and people are going to give him all the power in the world, and they're going to think that he's going to solve all of their problems, and how wrong that is. There is no man on this earth who is going to solve all of your problems. Absolutely not. Because you see, he's a sinner. He's flawed. In fact, the more power he has, the more corrupt he becomes. By the way, that's why all of us need accountability in our lives. None of us needs total power in whatever walk of life we do. We need to be held accountable by someone. Because we are sinners, we tend to take that power and we use it selfishly. This is the story of mankind. This is the story of how many of why we have so many wars and why there is so much unrest around the world. Just look at all the foreign conflicts that we have now. What is the problem? 
Is it really because of poverty or a lack of education? Well, those are just the symptoms. The problem is we are sinners. And we are incurably broken. And our only hope is the grace of God. And the only hope that we have for a perfect leader is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Never forget that. Now, my friends, he can be your leader now, and he should be. He is the one who leads us each day. He has all wisdom. Are you relying upon his wisdom? Or are you relying upon your own? When it comes to raising your family, are you relying upon God's wisdom, or are you going it alone? Are you listening to the world's wisdom? when you go about your daily tasks? Or do we depend upon God's perfect wisdom? I can rest in Jesus because as the wonderful counselor, the one who has divine supernatural wisdom, he has my life planned out to the last detail. He knows all about me. I need to trust and rest in him, not in my own understanding. Number two, he is the mighty God. Here's where the might comes in, the power. This is a title of divinity for the coming Messiah. Now, some people would translate this as mighty man or mighty warrior, but that's not the right translation. It is mighty God. The Hebrew phrase is El Gibor. The same phrase used here in Isaiah 9.6, mighty God, is used in Isaiah 10.21, if you'll turn over there with me. Isaiah 10.21. And here, God is talking about how he is going to bring the Assyrians against Israel and against his people Judah. And he says in verse 10, 20, in chapter 10 and verse 21, he gives them this promise, the remnant shall return. There is going to be uh, a remainder, a remnant of the people of God, even the remnant of Jacob unto who? Unto whom? The mighty God. That's the same Hebrew phrase. And here it is clearly talking about the Lord. This son that is going to be born is going to be the mighty God. Now the Old Testament does not hit us over the head with a great many references about the Messiah being God. But it does have that in there. And this is one of those passages. If you look carefully enough, if you do your homework, you would know that the Messiah would be God. Isaiah 7:14 is one. But here's another. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, he will be the mighty God. Jesus himself is God, but how often do men deny his power? Mark Batterson recently spoke of reading a 2006 scientific article in the journal of Paleolimnology, and by the way, I had to look this up, okay, but it means the study of ancient lake beds. 
And the article posed this question, did Jesus really walk on water? You know how these scientific articles are and these questions you see on television. The article's conclusion was that perhaps instead he really just surfed on a patch of ice. Dr. Doran Knopf and his co-authors speculate that an odd combination of atmospheric conditions may cause rare patches of floating ice on the Sea of Galilee. So according to their calculations, the chances of this floating ice phenomenon happening are less than once every thousand years. But those odds did not deter them from questioning whether Jesus walked on water after all. Perhaps Jesus just surfed on a patch of floating ice. Batterson writes, to be honest, I'm not sure which one would be more amazing. Surfing a piece of floating ice across the Sea of Galilee would take miraculous balance. And if those patches of ice appear only once every thousand years, it would take miraculous timing. I'd love to see a high-definition, slow-motion, instant replay of either one. Jesus walking on water or Jesus surfing on ice. But Dr. Knopf's theory may reveal more about the human psyche than the circumstances behind Jesus' miracle. We have a natural, and I would say a sinful, tendency to explain away what we cannot explain, especially when it comes to God. And that's why most of us miss the miracle. Jesus walked on water. I don't see how surfing on ice would be any less miraculous, to tell you the truth, but the Bible says he walked on water. We who know Christ know his infinite power. He is God. He's the one who made the waves. I can rest in Jesus not only because he is the wonderful counselor who has my life planned out to the last detail, but as the mighty God, he can bring his plans to fruition for his glory and for my good. In this new year, are you resting upon his power? Are you eaten up with fear and anxiety about what's going to happen? Or are you resting in him? Number three, he's the everlasting father, verse six. Let's not confuse this title with Christ's place in the Trinity. In the Trinity, Christ is the son, not the father. But the verse here is not speaking of his relationship with the other members of the Godhead, which is not revealed in all of its fullness in the Old Testament anyway. But what it's talking about is his relationship to his people. Especially in Bible times, a king was a father to his people. In times of danger, they looked to their king as a deliverer and as a protector, much like a child would look to his father. Christ is our protector and deliverer. He is like a father to his people. He is the everlasting one whose rule and protection will endure throughout all eternity. That brings us to number four, and that is he is the Prince of Peace. As the Prince of Peace, he administers the benefits of harmony, well-being, and peace. We have two major conflicts going on right now in the world, and 
By the way, there are numerous others. Most of the time, we're not even aware of most of the conflicts that go on around the globe. It's easy to overlook these things because we're not in the path of the storm. But we need to pray for the people around the globe, those who find themselves in the middle of constant fighting. Can you imagine having to raise a family in such an environment? The most we have to worry about is getting to work on time. But to know that this may be your last day upon earth because the bombs are falling. How we take this for granted. And folks, you know, if it were, if it were us in the firing line, we would take this more seriously that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And one day he is going to bring peace and stability to this earth. There is going to be no more wars. What a blessing that's going to be. But then, my friends, and by the way, again, I don't want to minimize this national peace that we can have, but there is something even more important, and that is spiritual peace, peace with God. And having the peace of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, We are ambassadors for Christ. And here is our message. It's as though God did beseech the world by us. We pray you in Christ's stead and in Christ's place, be ye reconciled to God. That is the greatest need that we have. The greatest need of peace is peace with God. Before salvation, you are at war with God. Have you ever considered that, my friend? Have you ever asked him for forgiveness of sins? You say, well, you know, I've always been brought up in a religious home and I've been connected with church. I don't have anything against God. But folks, if you've never come to him for forgiveness of sins, the Bible says you are his enemy. You are alienated from him. The good news is, is that God sent his only son so that we could be reconciled to him. What more could he do? It is Jesus who is the peace child. It is Jesus who made peace between us and God through the shedding of his blood on the cross. And this is what verse 21 tells us. It says, for he, God the Father, hath made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin. Christ had no sin of his own, but he bore our sin on the cross. And that is the thing that separates us from God. It is our sin that makes us an enemy of God. It is our sin that is the reason why God is angry with us and why something must be done. But Jesus came and he took that anger for us. He took all of God's wrath and all of God's rage upon himself so that we would not have to bear it. Justice was served at the cross. And that's the only place that justice can be satisfied. Paul says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
How can we ever stand before a holy and a righteous God at peace with Him? It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace in every way imaginable. And that leads us to letter B, His everlasting kingdom. He is a perfect ruler whose rule will never end. Even if you could have a perfect ruler on this earth, earthly speaking, his reign would eventually come to an end because he's only finite. But Jesus' reign and rule is forever. One day, the Bible says, verse 7, of the increase of his government, that is the expansion of his dominion, and of his peace there shall be no end. You will not find any end to his kingdom. There are no boundaries to it. There's no limit to the peace that he will give to this universe. And then it says this, and this is a very, very specific promise, upon the throne of David. And one day during the millennial kingdom, he will sit upon the throne of David, ruling from Jerusalem. We have prophecy after prophecy of that in the Old Testament. You can't miss it. A thousand year reign. To order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Aren't you glad he rules in our hearts even now? For those who know him. The Bible says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God desires with all his being to see this through, and it will be done. He always keeps his word. In high school, my English teacher related how during the dark days of World War II, when the Nazis were bombing London, one of the ways that the British people consoled themselves were with the stories of King Arthur, his round table of, of knights. You had Clements Dane's series of radio plays called The Saviors. That was in 1942 that would come over the airwaves, even as the bombs were dropping. You had Robert Sheriff's play later on called The Long Sunset, which saw King Arthur rallying his troops against the Germanic invaders. And of course, the message was clear. It spoke to England's heroic struggle against Hitler's forces. I think all people and nations have such stories embedded in their consciousness of a conquering ruler who will set all things right again. Well, my friends, the Bible gives us the true story from the very beginning. In Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity, and he's talking to Satan in the serpent. I will put enmity or hatred between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. It will deal a death blow to you, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Yes, you will wound the Messiah, but he will deal you the death blow at the cross. Jesus defeated the old dragon, the old serpent at the cross. And he is coming back one day to reign forever over a restored creation. Do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as Lord? We're going to sing a song here in just a few moments. And during that time, I'm going to be down here at the front. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if, if he has spoken to your heart this morning, what I want you to do is to come down publicly and profess your faith 
and your trust in Him. My friends, don't wait. This is the most important decision that you could ever make. The decision has to be made in this life. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you come and you accept Him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for our perfect leader, for our perfect King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, what are we, what is man that You would be mindful of him? that you would shower him with such care and concern and love. But Lord, you do love us more than pen or tongue could ever tell. To give your only son for our sins, for him to suffer on the old rugged cross, and to go through the agony that he went through, to have you turn his back, your back upon him, Take all of your wrath so that we could go free. Lord, I pray that if there's one here who has not accepted him as Savior, that that person would come today, that they would not wait and don't give them rest until they have accepted him. Lord, we as your people, we pray that we would live in such a way that others would know that Christ is our leader. He is our king, and he has dominion over our life.